Okay, Kim, as you know, we do the Limerick. Kim is an Oregon resident who, truth be told, I don't think cared for her last president. She's beautiful and classy as can be. She spends a lot of time at sea. Congrats on your year. You're one of a kind and so intelligent. Uh, take as long as you need. Talk about whatever you want. And Kim, thanks to get to know you. You're awesome. Oh, I love the Limerick. I, as you know, I'm doing this for the Limerick. So um, I'm Kim. I'm in secular recovery. And from that, you can draw your uh, conclusions. Um, I was telling Mark and Gra and others when I came into the room that um, I adore meetings that can't start without me. And then Mark proceeded to um, let me know that Arlene is speaking after me in this meeting. And it just completely, you know, <laughs> took me down. I don't know how many pegs because I don't have any whorehouse stories to tell you out of my story. So I really, I, I mean, <sighs> well, there you go. You're just stuck with what you get. Um, I'm, I'll go all the way back to the beginning this time. Um, I was born to a couple of teenagers. So yeah, they were 19, which wasn't really that uncommon in 1958, um, which by the way, I'm turning 63 in a few weeks. So um, I, I do always give a disclaimer that I've only been at this gig a year or so. And that means that I am not, I, I, I don't have any, um, elder type wisdom to impart here. So um, please understand that you're getting what you pay for. I, I was born to two teenagers, they were 19. And I think they were pretty ill-equipped for parenthood as most 19 year olds probably even back then were ill-equipped to be parents. Um, I was followed pretty quickly by two more girls. And so I was the, you know, the top dog in the pack and always, uh, always keenly felt that in so many ways, not least of which was I was always um, too big for my britches, which in, in uh, Yank speak means that um, you're maybe more confident than is warranted, always been that way. So um, I was a bossy big sister. I was a know-it-all. I was, I, was, uh, I was encouraged by my father to be, um, to be um, challenging of authority. Um, I think uh, the fact that he never got a boy, I was supposed to be named Barry, by the way, so I sort of wrecked that plan right out of the gate, but um, he never got a boy, so he always put all his, his uh, you can be anything you want to be kind of energy into me, and um, as a result, I took that on, I think. Um, I, I was extremely responsible as a child. Um, in fact, the responsibility that was put on my shoulders was too much for me sometimes, I had, you know, I had a good childhood. I can't, I can't say that much bad about it. My father definitely was an alcoholic. He was a, he was a come home and drink every night. And um, he, as most of us do, or at least in my family, that's the way it works. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse in terms of functioning, but he was not, um, he was a, he was a pretty happy drunk. He was irritable, grouchy, grumpy when he was, when he didn't have a, a, a drink at hand. Um, so I grew up feeling pretty good about myself, actually feeling maybe, as I said, more confident than was warranted. I'd never used drink in order to be social or have fun or have more confidence. Um, I started when I was about 14. It was a tiny town in the middle of uh, the United States. 
And um, so everybody knew everything uh, there was a, to know about everybody. Uh, my, my parents had a police scanner, so we had to be super careful about, you know, having any, any um, encounters with the police. But probably I wasn't as careful as I could have been because I, I did start drinking at about 14 and we would sneak into bars. We mostly though would take our alcohol and climb over barbed wire fences and do um, our drinking in the cornfields um, with, our, with, our, uh, with our friends. You know, everybody would say, oh, I'm staying overnight with so-and-so tonight. I'm staying overnight with so-and-so. And then we'd all gather in the cornfield and drink. Um, so it was fun. I mean, it, it, I don't think that I drank any, any more than everybody else did at the, at the teen, in the teen years. Um, it was pretty boring to live there. So, you know, we drank. Um, other drugs were available, but I was afraid of them. I had a boyfriend um, from, from age 16 who was my first love, my first lover. I adored him. Uh, but he, uh, his brother got him into some heavier stuff and, and psychedelics. Uh, were among them. So he would call me in the middle of the night and talk to me late into the night while he was tripping. And that just scared the shit out of me. I had no interest in that stuff. Um, when we were both um, 18, 19, kind of on the cusp there of 19, I, we, had, we had already broken up. I had moved to the state of Texas to start uh, to embark on my adult life. He um, hung himself and left me the note and I, to this day, don't know what the note said to me because his family confiscated it and never shared it with me. Um, but anyway, the, the, whole, um, the whole drug thing just really never was, was it, he scared me off of it. So for that, I'm eternally grateful. Um, and um, so I, I got on with my life at age 18. I was washing dishes with my mom and uh, I was drying the dishes she was washing. And I said, mom, I'm gonna move to Texas with my then boyfriend who was 14 years older than I was to my parents' horror. Um, but, you know, they were, they were pretty uh, great about, you know, okay, fly bird, you're, you know, fly out of the nest, go for it. So I did, I moved to Texas with this boyfriend, which um, turned out to be a pretty heavy drinking experience and a, and a not a, you know, just, it, 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 it it didn't end well. We, we parted ways pretty quickly after I moved to Texas. And then I started, I started college. Um, college, I would say that I probably drank in terms of my drinking years. I probably drank the least in college because I was busy. I had to go to college. I had to work two jobs. I had to get through college somehow and pay for it. So that was probably my, uh, my lowest level of drinking while I was drinking um, on, into, um, on into law school where I, I don't think that I was drinking too awfully much. In fact, I had a roommate and I felt so much pity for her because she would buy these jugs of wine, which were off li limits to the rest of the household, of course. And she would, boy, she would power them down. So she'd be wandering around kind of, you know, really in the bag most nights and she would drink and dial. And I remember feeling such pity for her, um, her isolated, you know, kind of sneaky drinking. Oh, little did I know that I was seeing my own future there in, in that picture. But anyway, I felt sorry for her. So then I embarked on career. Career was, was in, in the law and simultaneously I got into the boating, not, not voting, boating, B-O-A-T-I-N-G world, both of which are heavy drinking worlds. Um, I, uh, I 
drank probably within what would be considered normal parameters, which was a lot. I mean, oceans and rivers of alcohol. In my, uh, in my career life, I was, um, I was working really hard and, um, and noticing that the alcohol would come out at you know, just about five o'clock. When I, when I was early, early days, I couldn't do that because I had too much work I had to get done. So I, I couldn't do that. But, you know, the weekends and the firm parties and, and, uh, and uh, the, the uh, docks, I mean, today's a good example. Today is say, uh, sail race day. And boy, is there going to be some heavy duty partying on the docks here as soon as they all come back. So a lot of drinking. Um, but again, I think I was within normal parameters. Um, all through those years um, until I wasn't. There came a period uh, in about 2000 when I was uh, drinking to blackout stage. Um, the hangovers were just so painful. They were killing me. Um, well, probably not killing me then. I was young and, and more, my body was more resilient than it is now. So probably not literally killing me, but I, I felt awful a lot of the time. Um, I was noticing that there were really embarrassing things that other people were doing, like um, sleeping with secretaries and, and uh, you know, at, at firm, uh, you know, in the process of, of firm parties and, and uh, they were injuring other people. And um, so I, my husband and I quit drinking and we did that for, you know, uh, I, I think it was about six years and I'm not clear on that because there wasn't any kind of treatment program. There wasn't any kind of, um, you know, AA or smart recovery or anything really just a, this is really, really bad for us, what we're doing. So we stopped. Um, and I, I, here's where I have to say that I, I truly don't understand the term dry drunk. I really don't understand that term because those were good years. I mean, I, I, the, the absence of alcohol in my life was really a good thing. I think that it, it allowed me to, to get even further along in my career. I was, I was, you know, as, as happy as people can be, or as a person could be, I think. So I really truly don't understand the, the terminology dry drunk. Um, it was good, but um, I also, had in the back of my mind this picture because you know drinking had been fun it had been normal it had been good um except except for some of the icky parts I had in the back of my mind all that time this picture of myself becoming this old lady and drinking as much as I wanted to drink once I got old enough to, you know, for it not to really matter, not for, for it not to matter if I, you know, had a hangover or, or uh, I, I would be unlikely to be out where I'd be doing anything embarrassing. I had that in the back of my mind that it wasn't forever. And th that was probably... <laughs> You know, I know it's a one day at a time thing, but I do think that that kind of it's not forever was was there when I had to travel to the East Coast from the West Coast um, to to uh, get some training. And I got to an airport and I saw my most favorite bottle sitting in the bar. You know, you can, I mean, they have glass there so you can see the whole array. 
And I thought, oh, wouldn't this flight be so much more relaxing? And that I took that first drink, the fatal drink, and that launched me, it absolutely launched me. And it's, it's astonishing to me, although perhaps not to others, how quickly after years, I went right back as far as quantity and uh, physical consequence to where I was before. Of course, at that point, the physical consequences weren't nearly what they would become, but it was astonishing to me how quickly I started, you know, drinking to, to blackout point again, um, having hangovers. And, but here is the difference. At that point, I, so many people thought that I was a non-drinker that I wanted it to stay that way. So I became a liar and a sneak and, and uh, was, was, uh, you know, I'd, I'd go to different liquor stores. Everybody knows this one. So the clerk didn't think that I was an alcoholic. Um, I, I thought I was okay to drive when I wasn't okay to drive. I, um, I probably wasn't fooling as many people as I thought I was for the entire period. And certainly I was fooling almost no one by the, the late, the last days of my drinking, but I was a sneaky drinker. So I don't have until the very end, too many consequences where, you know, I, I did things in public or I was out and about, or I found myself, um, you know, uh, in, in situations uh, outside of my home because my drinking took place in my room. I had my box of wine and I would go to town on that, usually starting on the weekends. Um, so, you know, I, I got along that way and actually thinking I was fooling my husband for the longest time until he started making comments that made me realize that he knew darn well that I was drunk when I was, you know, pretending to be sober. Um, and so he knew for a lot longer than I knew he knew <laughs> that I had returned to drinking. But that went on years, years. I was still, you know, getting up and doing my job and going to work and, and meeting my responsibilities, getting paid, all of that, um, at years. Um, but there, there came a point when... <sighs> Yeah, that was no longer the case. And um, just this morning, I went to a meeting where the topic was the, um, the impact or, or drinking and work. That was the topic, drinking and work. And it gutted me. I couldn't even say anything. And I'm not even ready to talk about it to all of you to the extent that I will do someday when I have more distance from it. I don't feel that this is um, an act of dishonesty on my part. My husband knows everything. Certainly, uh, people, there are people I worked with who know everything, but it is so shameful and so painful to me that I'm just not ready to, you know, spill it all at this point. But suffice it to say that I got to the point where, um, where I needed to drink in order to feel like I was going to live another day. 
I was so physically addicted to alcohol that I had to, at least on weekends, uh, if not other days where I would have to call in sick, um, start drinking in the morning. It was, it was, um, and the blackouts became, became more frightening. You know, I, I uh, related to you that I felt relatively safe as a drinker, secret drinker in my own room. But one time I found myself in an airport waiting room with my work computer. I had taken an Uber to take a flight that wasn't scheduled to leave until the next day. And I only have the vaguest memories of some man sitting next to me and me telling him how kind, how very kind he was. Somehow I kept my wallet, my work computer, my, <laughs> my physical safety and all of that intact. But that scared the shit out of me. And it still wasn't enough. I mean, it still wasn't enough to make me say, well, it, it was enough to make me say, oh, I have to, you know, I have to do something about this. And many times I had tried to do something about it. Um, I had tried to, to uh, you know, make rules, the, the rules phase, which had been quite a long time before. Um, okay, no, only on weekends, blah, blah, blah. All the rules were broken, but that, that wasn't even enough to scare me into actually doing something about it, to actually seeking help. Um, in fact, at probably about that point, my husband asked me, what can I do? What is it that I can do? And I said to him, let me drink. I want to drink. And I, you know, I, I want to drink, so let me drink. I, I can deal with this. I'm still going to work. I'm still, you know, pulling down the paycheck. I'm still meeting my responsibilities. Um, and and my, I had met a lot of responsibilities uh, in, in, not in addition to my work. My husband and I never had children. So we took care of the old people in our family. Um, and we did a really, really good job at that. We also were the world's greatest aunt and uncle. Um, so I, in my own mind, was thinking, you know, uh, as long as I keep it confined to my bedroom, what difference does it make? How is it going to hurt anything? Um, and, and I had by that time a pretty high um, tolerance for shame and um, embarrassment and regret. You know, I, I, I mean, just take that airport thing, for example, in my mind, it was like, Ugh, well, that was a one and done, right? I, I won't do anything like that again. And then things just got worse and worse. My physical addiction became worse. Um, I, like I said, I'm not ready to talk about everything in, in, in detail. I don't, I, 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 it's, it guts me. It really does. I, I jeopardized my retirement, which was um, about this time last year. And um, it was about this time last year because of that, that finally just poof, smacked me in the face because I had really been hanging in uh, with, you know, working and all of that to, in order to, to retire and to retire correctly. Um, and 
it, it actually cost me a lot in terms of my mental health because that's just a whole other story with regard to my actual job. Um, so I decided that I, could, I did need help. I did not want to drink anymore. And um, obviously uh, I needed to take some sort of definitive action. So my husband and I went to my doctor and I confessed everything to my doctor. And she was, she was mad at me <laughs> because I, all these years, you know, um, I had never told her what was going on with me. And um, she, was, she, she was kind of angry with me that I had never revealed that to her, the quantities of alcohol that I had consumed over our many years doctor-patient relationship. So she referred me um, somewhat coldly to treatment. And I, you know, went into the first one that she referred me to. And that one was a straight up 12 and 12 program. And I, most of you have heard this story before. That was horrifying to me. I almost left, but I so needed to stop drinking. I mean, that was really the most important thing in my life because I was going to die if I didn't stop. And so I stayed with it. And then as most of you have also heard, a global pandemic intervened to save my life. Everything went online and I found secular AA. So I found my people. I, um, I have had um, a, a very good process of recovery. And although my program doesn't look like anybody else's program, um, just as your program wouldn't look like anybody else's program, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I've probably been as happy as I have ever been in this last year. My program is a crazy quilt of various um, um, philosophies and disciplines. It's a crazy quilt, but it's working for me. And um, one of the most important parts of my crazy quilt program is these meetings where I, where I have made connections and where I can uh, listen to the stories of others. Um, not so much to look for. Um, I had an epiphany one day, thanks to something somebody in this room said one day about listening to other stories. I am neither looking for neither similarities nor differences. Um, I'm just listening to the story um, because I want to know that person because most of you I see in the rooms over and over and over again. And the more I hear your stories, the more connected I feel to you. And the more connected I feel to you, the more I feel that my program is going to be successful because um, I'm heard. You take me as I am, no matter how I am. And um, I get to hear you. I get to learn so much from the shares of other people in these rooms. So this is, this is maybe the biggest part of, of my recovery. Um, with your help, um, I like the responsibility pledge and I apply it to myself because for me, every day, the minimum daily requirement is not drinking, don't drink. I'm only powerless over alcohol if I pick up that first drink, like that drink in the airport that day. And if I do that, that's all she wrote. Probably I, I would die this time, I, you know, unless I could find my way back. Probably I would die. So I am responsible for not taking that first drink. Um, 
and the the uh, secular AA rooms have been the I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it's been the biggest part of my recovery. It's been certainly uh, one of the most joyful parts because I've really um, I get to come here and be with all of you. I get to not drink today. It makes me happy. And, um, you know, yeah, sure. Drinking was, was, uh, first it was good. I have to say pretty, pretty much unmitigated good. And then it was good with bad. And then it was just bad. And, um, I get to not drink. I get to come here and be with all of you and I get to listen to your stories. And so um, with that, I'm going to shut up because I want to hear some of the, some more of those stories. And um, that's all I got for you. So from my heart to yours. <laughs>